Welcome to The Mushroom's Apprentice. I'm your host, Shona Holm. Today, I have a very special guest for you, and you are going to be showered with this man's wisdom today. Dr. Tom Garcia is a shaman and wisdom keeper who bridges ancient shamanic practices with universal laws and spiritual truths and addresses the need for deep healing so crucial in our culture today. After 30 years in chiropractic and the healing arts, Tom understands that the mind creates the conditions expressed in the body and in life and the need to heal the mind. Tom shares a practice of fire ceremony and the ceremonial use of plant medicine as a way to create deep insights and openings and ultimately healing. He helps people remember who they are and why they are here. His gentle presence and clear guidance leads them past self-doubt and uncertainty to clarity and peace. Tom's relationship with fire, expressed in a ceremony of beauty and power, draws people into the light of their own wisdom and authenticity to live true to their deepest purpose. And you can find out more about Tom beyond this episode at his website, which is drtomgarcia.com. And that's drtomgarcia.com. And his email is tom at drtomgarcia.com. So welcome, Tom. Thank you, Shauna, very much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank yeah. You. I, I, we, we've been talking about this for a while, and so I'm really, really thrilled to, to have you on. And I'm so, I tell you, I have such regard for the elders. And my friend Diana has often said, you know, we have a lot of olders, but not enough elders. And, and so this is what you are, you are carrying, is that, that great wisdom of the elder, Tom. And so I would love, because of course, I'm always just so curious, like how did that person get, like what was their journey to where they are now? If you wouldn't mind kind of giving us some backstory to how you found your way to this, I, I think that would be wonderful. Well, thank you. You know, when you talk about elders, I, I have this conversation with many of my clients who are in their 50s and 60s. And um, the, re the realization that elderhood doesn't come with age, we, we have to claim it. We have to step into our elderhood powerfully, consciously, and deliberately. So yeah, you talk about the arc of my life. I, I had this memory recently where my I encountered my 15-year-old self. And what he said was, um, I'm thankful that I became you. And I became who you are. Beautiful. This gratitude of, of my 15-year-old self. So maybe it started then. You know, that's when I I had a serious break in relationship with my family and my friends. And in a fit of despair, and it was a rainy night, I remember. I was alone in my room, and I started writing. I started journaling. And that was really the beginning of my voice that I didn't think of as a voice until many years later, fairly recently, that I realized, oh, that's when my voice came to me and guided me out of those dark places into the life that I that I live now. So, 
you know, I'm, I'm happily married. My wife's name is Karen. We have four beautiful kids and two grandkids. We live in community. We live in a co-housing community in Southwest Colorado. And I was a chiropractor for 30 years. I started out in Phoenix, Arizona. And after eight years, we just, we determined we needed to get out of the city. We didn't want to raise our kids in and amongst asphalt and concrete and glass and cars all around. So we moved, we moved to Southwest Colorado to a rural community and um, started over. That was 23 years ago. And we never looked back. And um, so I practiced here successfully, had a, loved being a small town chiropractor, just loved it. And, um, but when it was my time to go, it was time to go. And, and fortunately, I found someone to take over my practice and I moved on and that was four years ago. And now I devote myself to doing what I do now, which is working with people in, in ceremony, with fire, doing the deep work. But also during that time, I failed to mention that um, 15 years ago, a really dear friend of mine came to live with us. And this is a, a guy we met in a men's circle and just fell in together, grew to love each other as brothers. And um, and he, he started to ex exhibit symptoms that he didn't know what was going on and eventually found out he had something called Pick's disease, which is a, a degenerative disease that's fatal. And it's, you know, in the, in the, uh, under the auspices of um, uh, Alzheimer's and um, I'm blanking. Dementia. Dementia, yeah. And um, my wife and I, we took him in thinking we could we could bring him back to health. And at three months in, we realized he, he wasn't getting better. He was getting worse. And, um, and we also realized we're in this to the end. We weren't going to send him out or take him, you know, bring him to an assisted living facility. And um, during that time, watching his decline, this is this is a powerful story that I'm sharing with you, this, this crucible moment in my life where watching my friend withdraw from life, someone who was so vital and alive and, and engaged in life, something happened to me. And when he passed, I started going to the woods. And I would go out in the mornings early before sunrise or in the evenings at sunset, and I'd often stay out all night. And I started with creating altars. I'd lay out an altar, kneel, and pray. I really didn't know what I was doing, and I would journal, and I'd wait for the sun to rise and, and, and the warmth of the sun to come on me because it was so cold out in the early mornings, even in the summertime. And um, eventually, this led to building fires. I always say I had the good sense to start making a fire. And the same the same process i would i would i would build an altar make a fire and kneel and and simply listen and with my journal open and i would i would write what i heard and then i started using plant medicine during that time as well probably once or twice a month and that's when my voice came to me it was very clear very distinct different from the voice i talked about when i was you know 15 you know 16 years old it, it spoke to me in with a certain, in no uncertain terms, it spoke to me. And they let me know <clears throat> that they were my guides. And this was my rebirth. And, and, so, and I remember the date, it was August 11th, 2009. And that was, that was a turning point in my life. And that voice 
there was a time when I, when I was afraid it would all go away, that the voice would go away, my desire to go out into the woods and make fire, all the ceremony would just leave me because a ceremony was coming through me also. It came through me piecemeal. It came through me bits at a time until now it's this well-developed kind of ceremony. But for a time, I was afraid it would all go away. And then I realized that it wasn't going away and that it was that I had a, a sacred duty to strengthen and deepen my connection to that voice and to my ceremony and to the fire. And, and that's what I did. And this is what I share with people, that we have a holy obligation to deepen and strengthen our connection to source. And, and it, it will be there for us by whatever name you give it. I call it source, creator, God, mm-hmm. the presence. And, um, and it all began 15 years ago, as I said, and has developed and matured and into who I am today. And it was my guides who said, you're a shaman, you're a medicine man and a wisdom keeper. And it's, it's very clear in my life today. That's, that's how I function. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's how I show up. But it took some time to claim that, you know, it's not ordinary. It's not common. And for a lot of people, it's, they have no idea what, what that means. You know, I wasn't even sure what it meant. I'm like, Oh, not that. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, but it took some time to step. It took many years for me to to own it and to wear it as I do now. I, I think also it, it often comes, it usually comes as a result of a crisis. Yeah. So that crisis is either one's own sickness or a dark night of the soul which sounds like for you, the death of this dear friend who you nursed until the very end really initiated that crisis. Yeah, it was completely unexpected. I had no earthly clue that that was coming. And when it came, it, it was, it, I was undone. And that was the, that was the thrust of it to become undone. And what I say about that time is that Long ago, before we came, my friend Jim and I, we agreed that we would find each other in this life and that at the appointed time, we would help each other to awaken and that I would help him out, out of his life in a good way, in a ceremonially beautiful way, and that he would help me in to the deeper, the deeper realm. So he's one of my guides in my lexicon of guides who works with me. He, he fulfilled his end of the contract, the sacred contract between the two of us. And I'm fulfilling mine now. That's beautiful. That's so, so stirring. Now, could you talk, you, you talk about the fire. You spent a lot of time building fires, doing, uh, taking sacred mushrooms, listening to the voice. I, w- I want to hear more about that yes. and how that's begin. Yeah, the fire has been a companion. It's, it's an elemental. It's, of course, you know, fire, air, water, and earth, and spirit are elementals. They're elements that um, they're primary, and the fire is ancient. And um, I just, it was a spontaneous thing. I just started making fire. And it, it speaks to me. It's like the wisdom seems to come from the fire. When I, when I make the fire and in my 
fire circle. And so I built this massive fire circle, this massive circle that when Jim passed, I started carrying stones into this circle, huge rocks, massive rocks. I don't even know how I carry them today. I'm like, I don't know how I moved that thing here. Made this big circle and then a massive stone fire pit that has a particular shape. So it's shaped in the feminine, like the, the yoni is what I say. And the fire is the masculine and the feminine is the space. And um, I understand now, I didn't under, realize it then, that the fire, my fire is informed by the feminine. There is a feminine energy that comes through that space that that guides me. And um, so in many ways, it was it was preparing a space for grace with the fire and how I, how I be with it is I have a place where I kneel because of what I'm in the presence of. I'm very clear. And I often, my head is bowed and my shoulders are down because of what I'm in the, I know what I'm in the presence of. I can feel it and it speaks to me. So the fire, the fire talks, it has sounds, it makes particular sounds and it does certain things in moments when it's like, ah, like to underscore an insight or something that I said, or someone else said, and um, it's a very connected feeling to be related to fire in this way. Now, in my work with people, at some point, I have said, go make your own damn fire. Like it's time for you to make your own fire, make a circle and put a fire in it and begin to create your own ceremony. And the way my ceremony came to me is I just started laying things out that spoke to me, deer antlers and bone and shells and sage, sweetgrass, tobacco and cedar. These are like currency with the fire. You know, I put these into the fire and create these herbal blends for blessing. I call them blessing blends. And um, so I feed the fire mm -hmm. and the fire, you know, I, I discovered the fire likes chocolate. <laughs> I, I like chocolate too. So I share my chocolate with the fire. And so does everybody who comes to the fire. I say, make sure you bring some chocolate for the fire. And um, <clears throat> so it's an entity. It's a being. It's, a, it's alive. It's dynamic. It's, you know, you see how the fire moves and, and we feed the fire. It, it, it's, it's, tr it's transformational. It transforms wood, which, which trees, which have received sunlight, earth, air, sunlight, water, and then it becomes firewood and then we put the firewood into the we start it on fire and create a fire and it releases the sunlight again it's 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 transformational like that so yeah it's a powerful element i use it and work with it and it works with me and i bring it into our community and and the and people recognize fire of course it's it's ancient it's primal years you know you know in ancient times we we came to the fire we sat around the fire as community for warmth for light for protection for communing with the divine and um so it's just like i'm continuing that tradition in a very organic way yeah and and who else i mean who else where else that, that's how i see it, see it sometimes it's like oh i get to be that one because somewhere along the line i said that's that's what I do. That's who I am, and that's that's the function I fulfill. And it's very primal. It's yeah. just it, it really, you know. And that is it's understood also. That is the healthiest heat, if you will, for us compared to say electric heat or gas heat or whatever, right? Because it is 
it's so natural and yeah. we've been around fires for millennia and also you know it will take advantage of photo ops i have found because i also <laughs> back in my mid 40s began hosting these full moon ceremonies and we would do fire circles and i have a really striking photograph of the face of pan in the fire and you sent me a photo recently to talk about that yeah so i was i was in a ceremony with a couple of men that i work with and um they were taking one of the guys was taking photos of me at the fire and he was picking up things that we cannot see with the naked eye and um, i just sent, happened to send you one where there's these like these three green apparitions in the tree above me and just behind me and um and there were other things like that too i mean um yeah just like you said the camera it picks things up and um so i know i that really confirms for me when i'm out there i am so not alone there is energy all around and my feeling sense of that energy is it's benevolent and it's loving and it's so deeply deeply appreciative that there is even just one in the woods making fire and honoring their presence and calling them in and being uh, coming in harmony coming in peace yes oh gosh i so hear you i mean i have my own stories i won't share them here but with, with, with that as well and and even early on the almost shock of realizing how appreciated i was in that space giving thanks the the appreciation for for us and this is what I, I mean, we so need to be doing now is is this deeper communion with with nature as as all of life right now is being threatened on multiple levels. Yes. Yes. I want to share with you something real quick. Um, I was on a, a river trip down the Grand Canyon on the, the Colorado River several years ago. And as a group, we, we all did the, the plant, the mushrooms together. And everyone was, there was a bunch of folks kind of in a dog pile hanging out and, you know, goofing off. And I was laying on the, in the sand and I sat up like straight up and a voice in my head said, what are you doing? And I stood up and I simply walked away from the group. I went through some bushes and brambles and came out in this clearing right on the water. And frantically, I started to make a circle of stone. And then I knelt and I had tobacco and, and um, sage with me. And I started to do ceremony and offer my gratitude. And I could feel the presence of those who live in the canyon, who've been there for, for eternity. They were so thankful. Like I said before, they were so, one person recognized and honored their presence and, and thanked them for their presence in the canyon and respected their home. You know, and I stayed there for the rest of the journey right there by the water at my circle. And, and, and then we get something in return. It, it, uh, uh, of course, a deeper appreciation and awareness of, of what we're in touch with. But also, often, they will tell us things. They will teach us things. Mm -hmm. and, and so I want to ask you, so when that voice speaks to you, when you were out there in those earlier years, would you bring a journal? Were you writing down what you were getting? How, how did that come together? I, I always bring a journal with me, always. That's There's good. never a time I don't have a journal. And um, and my first my first 10 years, 
So I said, I was doing this, I've been doing this for 15 years. The first 10 years I worked alone. Mm -hmm. I only worked solo. I I don't know that I'd recommend it. You know, I'm out in the woods, I'm alone. It's dark. I'm working with fire. And um, I always said no, no sharp and pointy objects around me for sure. But um, there's a, there was a certain risk involved and I took that risk and always had my journal working alone because there was so much to listen for. As soon as the mushrooms kicked in, I'd start writing. Now, I didn't write continuously and I didn't write everything, but I wrote enough of what they said to me and what they were guiding me to and what this journey was about. I wrote enough that I could always reference almost the whole the whole time just by looking at those key words, you know. And it was wisdom that was being imparted to me. Wisdom that's that's available to all of us. It's wisdom that's in the field. And I was simply tapping that wisdom, that source, and it spoke to me personally and clearly. Can you share any messages? Uh, yes. Early on, um, there's one, there's several, but one was sit knee to knee with people and let them see my love in your eyes and don't leave anybody out of your love. I don't. Mm. It was like that. And um, there was one in particular where I was kneeling at the fire and I was, you know, hunched over and kind of sleepy and it's like, ah, nothing's really happening here. You know, maybe I'll go home. And the fire was burning low and fitful and I poked at the fire with my, with a stick and the flame just whooshed straight at me and it snapped me awake, stood me up and I'm now I'm pacing back and forth, looking at that fire going, okay. You know, what's going on here? Because it was burning like it had a hidden source of oxygen. It was burning hot and just really fiercely. And what I heard was, you want to know who I am. And it wasn't a question. Mm. I'm looking left and right and it's pitch dark out. And and I'm like, I was actually scared. I thought, oh, I tapped into something. I tapped into something. And I did. But it wasn't what I thought. And And it said to me, I own this place. And I knew immediately that it would, that it was that which, which the intelligence of this reality, the air, the fire, the earth, everything. And, um, and it went on to say, I see you walk my land, you take my trees, you drink my water, you breathe my air. Thank you. will do just like that. And I understood in a second, the depth of gratitude, like, oh, so after that, I became thankful for everything and always offer, you know, I go, I go up to the mountains to get my, all my drinking water. I always do offer tobacco and, and listen to the water and, and sit with it for a while. And, um, but it also went on to say, sage, sweetgrass, tobacco, and cedar. These are my, this is my currency. So make your offerings and your prayers are my language. So offer your prayers. And it said, I'm not your God. So don't do that to me. But it also said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in our, in, in, in our understanding of God, which is to say, we tend to make God into this sort of, put it into a box and call what's so vast and magnificent that, if you will. And, um, so yeah, that was that was one of the most outstanding experiences. 
that I had at the fire. Let's talk about prayers because hmm. there's a lot of anti-Christian sentiment right now, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. And, and, you know, prayers are, I mean, every religion has their version of prayer and we know prayer works and we don't pray and, and people think of it almost as, you know, sort of you're sort of asking or begging for something, but prayer has many expressions. I would love for you to speak to that. Yeah. So <clears throat> There's, there's one thing that comes to mind immediately. Uh, when I'm in a ceremonial space, when I'm journeying alone, now, and now with others also, there is always a point in, the t in that time, in that arc of or the experience, where I become acutely aware of everything around me, the fire, the trees, the sky, because I do, I, I do everything outside. I don't, well, I, that must be clear. I'm making fire. So all my journeys are outside, you know, in every kind of weather, snow, rain, cold, mud. If I'm called to go out, I'm like, okay. Sometimes I'll ask, do I really have to go out? And the voice is like, yes. <laughs> so I go. And this, this, the notion of prayer, it's a communication. Prayer for me is that is our direct communication with our creator. And that we are sending and receiving channels with direct communication. So certainly when I'm in the woods, but any other time too, in the mornings, every single morning, I sit quietly in prayer, feel the presence, invite the presence in, invite myself into the presence. And the lowest form of prayer, it's not to diminish it, but the lowest form is actually to, to beseech or to plead. Mm -hmm. But and the highest form of prayer is to, to acknowledge that I already have everything. Thank you. Just to simply acknowledge, I have everything. Thank you. You've given me everything. And then to look for evidence of everything. Having all the resources, the wherewithal, you know, the people, the support, the love that I need. And more often than not, I shouldn't even say it that way. Usually, we, we create the obstacle to the awareness of the presence, to the awareness of, of the presence of love, to the awareness of the presence of spirit around us. So it's an undoing to remove those obstacles and clear the way so that we can be present to what's already there. Right. And that in itself is a kind of purification, which is just sitting here thinking this connections, of course, because the fire itself is the great purifier. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and we really, you know, when we first come to this work, there, there, there's inner work to do. There's an inner purification that has to happen. All those old belief systems, all those patterns. Oh my, we've been so conditioned, so domesticated, thoroughly trained in the ways of the world. And to undo that takes everything. It takes everything. This path that we're on, that you and I are on, and that others that, that are familiar with the path, know that it takes everything. So I go to the fire often. I go out to the woods with my bag. And it's a ritual to pack my bag and go out and then to gather the wood, to be in the cold, especially in the morning, to make the fire, to smell the wood smoke, to create my place to kneel and build the altar. And then when everything's ready, I, I open with a ceremony. I, I do the same ceremony, whether I'm alone or with 20 people. 
and that's to lay down the circle, you know, to open it and then welcome the directions. Um, thank everything that I can give a name to for its presence. And most certainly the traditional owners of the land who, for whom this was once their, their land, and then kneel and begin my own process. And it is a process of purification, unburdening myself of the accumulated detritus and noise and the burdens of daily life so that I can be a clear vessel. I can have a clear, a clear mind and heart to do, to do what is mine to do. And could you speak to humility also? Cause you, you really exude that, you know, like this is not, it has nothing to do with sort of ego kind of stuff oh, here. Very, especially once you taste that grace, I call it grace. And I notice yeah. you do too, right? Yeah. It's very humbling. It is very humbling and humility. That's, that's a good word. It's humility. Um, it's like, it's like a consequence of, the work that I'm engaged in just, you know, simply being with the fire. Um, what I mean, like I said before, what I'm in the presence of drops me to my knees and has me bow my head and say, thank you. Thank you for everything. And what I often say, especially when others come to the fire, what I say to them, um, this is not a complaint fire, an advice fire or a counseling fire. This is a time for your prayers, your blessings, your gratitude and your unburdening what you want to let go of. And that's a big one for people as it is for me to let go. Yes. Yes. Because often too, people become very identified with the very thing they want to let go of. And it's hard for them to let go of. And many will fight you to keep it. It's so true. Uh, gosh, I was working with one guy. Uh, he's been with me for a couple of years. I just love him to pieces. And um, he, we're at the fire and he says, um, I've been, I've been in this struggle, but I'm not ready to let my struggle go. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. That's interesting, but okay. And after a period of time, it became abundantly clear. The only thing standing between you and everything you want is this attachment you have to struggle. Right. So he finally got to the place where he was ready to let it go. And before he did that, I, I ask him, what are you surrendering? So he'll name it. And he says, my struggle. And then to whom or to what do you surrender it? Because that's just thrown into the fire or giving it away or getting rid of it. You want to, you want to thank it and bless it and then let it go. So name what you're letting go of, not I want to let go of, but I let go of, and then to, to whom or to what do you let this go to? What, what is that? Sometimes people just say, God. Mm. And I stop them. I'm like, well, tell me about your God. Mm. Please. I mean, I'm, I want to know. How, how does this God show up for you? How, what's your relationship with it? And some, oftentimes they, they change it from God to something else. They, they give it a different name. They give it their own name. And it's very, it's very important, and I, I make it very clear, it's important that you name it. It's not the God you've been given, the one you inherited, or a substitute God you made up based on somebody else or some other belief. It's, it's yours. It's intimately your own. So tell me about that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. 
when, when did you start working with other people, Tom? When did that happen? About five years ago. I wasn't altogether sure I wanted to do that either. It was what? a little bit hard at first because I was so used to working alone. Uh, uh -huh. Having other people in my space was like, uh-oh, there's someone else here. And I was used to, I'm used to just listening. There's no talking at all. Mm. Or the only noise is me crying, you know? So in working with other people, I had to learn how to hold space for them. And I, you know, and if I work with someone and we're doing mushrooms, I do them with them and we go in together and come out together is what I say. And so I'm tracking, I'm tracking them the whole time. And my, my listening expands to hold their, to hold them. I'm listening with them and for them. My own process goes to, to the side so I can focus on them. And, um, my primary, uh, my the priority is safety always. I didn't realize it at first. It just became abundantly clear. Safety is number one, physical safety, emotional, spiritual safety. So they can, they're free to do the work that they came to do and they feel safe and they feel loved, which is something I, I bring up too. I said, if you, you have to know, I love you. If you didn't know that I loved you, we couldn't, we couldn't go there. So that's, yeah, that's part of the package. Okay. Well, it's interesting that you bring up safety because that is an interesting topic in terms of does the practitioner take the mushrooms with the, the individual they're working with or not. Mm -hmm. And because not everyone can do that safely. I, I've heard, I you know, you can, I know, I know, I have no doubt in my mind, but you know, I've heard, I, I think it's just important to say not, not everyone can do that. And it's not necessarily a good idea. I mean, you're out there in, in a place that, you know, like the back of your hand, mm -hmm. you know, it's done with great reverence and care. And, and then there's story, cause I work with people who tell me, I've heard just personal stories, you know, of people doing the mushroom and then ending up having a bad trip on the, you know, on the person and, and uh, they were supposed to be minding and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And, and I know also, you know, Kathy Coilhoy interviewed, you know, she goes into deep shamanic state when she's working with someone and, and she does take the medicine as well. So there's times when it works and it's very powerful, like in your case and Kathy's case and other, other times when it's just not, I think that's just important. Yeah, that's a that's for sure a personal call. Yeah, I, mean, I always do, and I, that's what I like. I said, we go in together, we come out together, mm -hmm. and my listening is way expanded. My listening goes big anyway when I'm alone, but when there's someone else, it's really big. And um, and the kind of the 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 depth and the quality of conversation that begins to arise out of this when we're together like this is beyond anything. I, I don't even have the words for it. It's so deep and so powerful. Do you do just a tiny dose, Tom, or? or I do at least as much as them and oftentimes a little more. Wow. Um, I did learn early on, though, to not do too much more. No. I, oh, no. I, need to have, I need to have my facilities, but I also learned, it's like a training of myself. I learned I could be hyper aware of somebody else and be in it in my own process 
mm-hmm. still and be connected to some like I'm very connected to their process and what's happening for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also keeping track of them outside. You know, they go wander off to go to the restroom or something, and it's very easy to lose sight of the fire and get disoriented. Yes. That could make for a not so fun night having to find somebody in the dark underneath uh-huh. the lens. So not it's not quite happened, but it's it happened close enough where I was like, oh. So I give them a whistle. Mm. I also have a drum. Mm-hmm. Ah, good. Come to, come to the sound of the drum, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I would say, you know, uh, just like doing them alone in the woods, also doing them with others. I don't know that I'd recommend it. It's just my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's exactly. My way. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm more making that di- distinction just for people listening. Yeah, yeah. Because it takes. It, it just, it depends on the set and setting. Like in other words, both you and also Kathy Coyle, who I interviewed, you're doing this outside mm-hmm. and the space is, it's a specific space <clears throat> and, and the way that set up lends itself to that. Yeah. And then there are other, yeah. There, well, there are other aspects too that become available outside. There's a bit of wildness. Mm-hmm. It's, sure. it's, um, unpredictable mm-hmm. i i call it, i call them feral energy sometimes there are feral energies that present on the land to be like like a pack of coyotes or uh something wild showing up i've had a mountain lion run through my fire circle when i was with people chasing a deer i've had coyote come almost to the yeah <laughs> i just kept going right no chasing a deer and it, i watched it it was a full moon about midnight the fire was just hot coals and this deer comes crashing through the woods behind me and I look and I I could not my my mind could not wrap its head around that there's a deer running straight at me they usually run away and then it ran right through the camp almost came so close to hitting one of the, the one of the men I was with and then I look back for more and I see this shape loping through the dark and it's through in, in the moonlight and it was a mountain lion it broke off the chase, went right by us and kept going. And I was just like, wow, there's it's like um, mutual of Omaha, you know, wild kingdom happening right before my very eyes. And coyote have come right to the almost I one time I heard coyote so close. I was like, I was going to go to investigate. And then I stopped myself. It's like, no, don't go checking out a pack of wild coyotes, you know. No. And then there are just the energies that are on that pre- present on the land. I've experienced where the fire starts to get, the fire burn doesn't burn right. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't burn right. And I feel like there's something here. And actually I get, I find myself getting angry and upset. Like this is my fire. This is my sacred circle. Mm-hmm. You are not welcome here. And I will take the fire apart. I'll bury it, scrape out all the coals and just let it sit. And, and then ask myself, okay, what just happened? And then I, I listen for the answer. And then I build a new fire. And then it burns clean. Huh. Yeah. Just that, one of those, you know, supernatural things. Of course. And so I'm just thinking this, it was nine years on your own, right? Before you started working with other people. And it was about 10 years. Mm-hmm. About 10 years. I mean, yeah. really, you're in training. I was. That's- Apprentice to the fire is how I describe it. 
yeah. apprenticed to the fire for all these years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Deeply connected. Yeah. Yes. And then at some point on an apprentice's journey, they have to turn outward. They, you know, they, they, they have to begin interacting with others in, in yeah. whatever way it is they are called. Yeah, very, it's very much like that. At some point, there is a distinct departure from the solo work. And I feel like if you could see it in like a movie, you know, here's this man coming out of the woods by himself. And that's me coming mm -hmm. back to the community, back to the fold, back to engage, and then and now bring other people to the fire. I have an analogy that I use in my own mind that I share, so it's not only in my mind, that I see, I see their people, I see their flare go up, their distress signal go up. And I'm that guy, like a, like a battlefield medic who goes out and finds them, they find their way to me, and I drag them off the field of battle into the light of fire and snap them awake, you know, and watch them come awake, come out of their drama, come out of the dream, and they're like, Oh my God, that was so real. That was me doing that. You mean I was causing all that, you know, in my life? I'm like, yes, welcome home. It's wow. a very cheerful moment for both of us to realize they've just snapped awake and they can never not be awake after that. I mean, they can't ever completely go back to sleep. Right, right, right. What I love also, Tom, is how there was no shaman to guide you. You went straight to nature. Nature was the teacher. Right. And also, I did not want to hear about anybody else's journeys. I had a friend who would always start to tell me about his ayahuasca journeys at Peru. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. And not that I was rude. I just didn't want to hear it, especially when I was under the influence. And early on, a couple of times I did it with him. Um, I didn't read books about shamanism, ceremony, none of that. I just didn't want any outside influence because what I wanted was, and I was very clear, I wanted my own uncontaminated, undiluted experience of source, of spirit coming through me and speaking to me. And so I didn't want anything to interfere with that experience. And once I had that down, once I had that experience firmly grounded within me, then I came out and I started reading and I started looking and there was information about psychedelics everywhere. It was all over the place. And then sh shamanic books showed up. I have a whole shelf full of books on shamanism now. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Because when I read, when I read the books and when I read the, the, the reflections in psychedelic journals and articles and all that information, it, it supports and validates what I learned when I was out there all alone by myself. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like this exactly. wisdom. Yep. It's available yep. in the field. And to, to tap into it directly on my own was the best experience I could have given myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this also speaks to something that's very important on this path, and especially when you're being called to it, and that is trust. Oh, my trust. God. Because I so concur with you. When I first came, I started working with Dr. Brew Joy, my teacher, and, and I took his 10-day foundational out in the desert in, in Arizona at a place called Rex Ranch many years ago. My God, almost 20 years ago now. And he had us do three days of fasting and silence. 
And I could not wait to get out into the desert. And then I built a circle. Like I didn't have any training. I hadn't read, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and I ended up spending those three days in that circle, except at night, I'd go in at night, but you know, my Kundalini awakened in that circle. I was having visions and that was years before I came to the mushroom. Oh and and it was all of that following that kind of inner call or directive. And then you just get out there in the elements and then nature takes over as the teacher. Yeah. Oh my, that's exactly it. And trust is a cornerstone. It, it, it is for me. And, and these, I'll tell you, there, there are, there are four cornerstones for me, trust, surrender, gratitude, and forgiveness. Mm. So one of the things that came to me on the land was this image. And I wrote it, I, I sketched it in my journal. And then I had someone create a, a graphic for me. And it, you could picture it. If you picture the four cardinal directions in the North is blessing. In the East is prayer. In the South is sacred purpose, and in the West is grief. Mm -hmm. And then the, the between points are forgiveness, surrender, trust, and gratitude. Mm -hmm. And in the middle is peace. So all roads lead to peace, peace being an attribute within us, mm -hmm. and that we only, we only have to meet the conditions for peace and we have access to peace. But if we're in judgment, if I'm in judgment, or if I'm in entitlement not in gratitude if i am in, in a state of control ego control and not surrender i'm not at peace mm -hmm. i don't have access to peace so that and that's what what the fire shared with me that's what came through the medicine mm -hmm. that awareness yes yeah yes you know people wonder where these for instance, the, the uh, indigenous ayahuasca keepers, you know, like, how did you know how to make this brew? And they said, the plants told us, you know, that, and, and, and really, I mean, all of us in our indigenous state, when you go back far enough, the Irish, the, you know, the Scandinavians, the whoever, the, the Africans, of course, you, you know, we, we, we knew that nature had a voice that, that you could communicate and that voice would would instruct you and yeah. guide you there was no question there's there's such a separation today we're all comfortable in our what i call our little boxes our air-conditioned heated boxes we're disconnected from nature that's why for me it's so powerful to go out especially to stay out all night mm -hmm. to be on the earth under the open sky at the fire to feel the cold in the wintertime, it's so cold. And to feel that that cold, it's it's the kind of cold that, that makes you, it just drops you to your knees kind of cold. And then to to engage with it and to be and to start to revel in it, you know, and to be exposed elementally to the energy that's out there and to feel what it must have felt like as an ancient one, as a tribal person. And you said it, you go back far enough, we're all at the fire we're all living in that's right deeply immersed in nature connected in the fabric of nature you know? right right and in terms of the cold brew my teacher would talk about this he would say just don't be in resistance don't resist it just open fully to it yeah 
Yeah. So I was at the fire many years ago and I was just, I was shivering. It was so cold. And, and my voice said to me, you're not cold. You just think you're cold. And I stopped shivering and I was like, I'm not cold. And then it said, now put more wood on the fire. I was trying to draw heat from this meager little fire and it <laughs> put more wood on the fire. And it was such a great metaphor. Draw the metaphor that one of the things I heard was burn, be like the fire and burn with your own intensity mm. and, and feed your fire, mm. feed your fire. Just wisdom from the fire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I sense there's a book there, at least one, Tom. Oh, yeah, there is. I have, I have a bookcase full of journals from all my experiences that are filled with just plain old, plain wisdom, you know? Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll read some of this stuff and I'm like, God, did I write that? It, well, it wasn't me. It came through me. You know? Yes. Yes. We are the vessel. We are. And, and, it is, and that's the humility right there. I am a vessel. Mm -hmm. And my ego, my guides used to tell me, stand aside, we're coming through you. <laughs> That's great. Oh boy, what does that mean? You know? And it's taken, you know, I, I, I say I'm, I am so dense. I am so slow. I am just so resistant. Yet they're, they're, they're eternally patient. They're infinitely patient. And they say, that's all right. We have an eternity, but you don't. So get busy. I love that. But you don't. Yeah. 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 They have teased me saying, you know, we'll, we'll get through your thick, airy skull, dear. We'll, we'll get through it. And they used to say in those early years, you're a tough nut, dear. You're oh, my. Nut. yeah. <laughs> I heard they said to me, it's painful being you. <laughs> And the only reason why is I bring suffering into it. You know, I asked, why does my brother have to suffer so much? And what came back was, why do you? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not talking about me. I actually got angry. I remember stood standing up, stomping around. I got more wood. I, I'd throw my journal and pen down and built a fire up. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know? And they said, You suffer because you won't surrender. Mm -hmm. And I said, surrender what? Mm -hmm. He said, your will. You are hell bent on doing things your own way. And so you suffer. Mm -hmm. You'll surrender your will. It'll go easier for you. It's essentially what they said. Yeah. That's interesting. Because... I think being a very willful person at times, <laughs> um, because working magically, the will is very powerful. But obviously, though, that's will that is channeled correctly. Like you've got to, you know, because we're born with all of these abilities, uh, all of these elements within us. And it's yeah. a, a matter, really. And I think it really takes a better part of your life to learn how to properly channel these things. Yes. That is the essence of surrender, mm -hmm. surrendering your will to the, I could say, to the will of God, to the higher will. And that really is our will. But the ego has its own ideas. 
So it's a fine line to be able to discern the, the ego-driven will from the will of the creator and to be in alignment with that. And, and that there's a part of you and I that can, that can bring our egos into alignment with that will in service to spirit instead of in service to itself. Yes, yes. I was giving a talk recently on magic and the manifestation work that I do and made very clear to say that, yes, you know, will is sort of the, the driving force. And at the end of the day, I don't have the last word. So yeah. when I am working on the manifestation, it's it's always at the end, you know, that or, or you know, or better. You know, in other words, sort of you do have the last whatever you think ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to be really good with that, really right with that and not forcing my will if I don't like the outcome. Yeah. Then, then we have a problem and we have suffering. Yeah. What How I understand will is that that will is God's gift to us. God gifted us with her will. Mm -hmm. And she won't go against that. She won't go against our will, even as we're creating willfully in a destructive way or creating willfully in an unhealthy way, it won't go against our will. Well, we're in a free will universe or reality, right? So that's been a gift. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you this. How are you going to use it? Exactly. <laughs> Let's see what you got. <laughs> yeah. Now I've, you know, I recently read, um, Resign now is your own teacher. <laughs> so, which as we're talking, it's it's to say, uh, don't think you're in charge or don't be in charge of your own will. You know, give it up. Hmm. Give it over. Surrender your will in a good way. And that's surrender is an act of will. Surrender is one of the highest forms of um I don't know what you want to, what to call it. It's, it's a high, it's a very high level thing to surrender with clarity. It's not a giving up. It's not a, you know, right. Massive thing. Right. That's when I had the most extraordinary mystical experience of my life in my first year of what became the monthly mushroom journeys. When I was in that dark night of the soul and I came to the mushroom teachers bereft yeah. And I said, I have no skin left, just my broken heart, right? I mean, I was in full surrender. And then spirit's like, God, finally, this one. Now, <laughs> now we can get in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I love what you're saying. I, I was just in a retreat this weekend. And, and I was, you know, I was doing the openings. I did the ceremonial opening on Saturday morning. And I don't know where it came from. Well, I know where it came from, but I didn't expect it. This conversation entered in about, I don't know. And to, to come to the, to, to come to the threshold of, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know what to do. I don't know the way is to say, now we're getting somewhere. Now we have a place to begin when you come with an, I don't know, state of mind, mm -hmm. like beginner's mind. Yes. Well, it makes me think also of the line in the Bible that says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open, but you have to be open to ask, to seek and to knock. Yeah. And, and then you're going to receive yeah. an answer. You'll be met with, with something. Yeah. At that point. On that same note, 
the the ego's edict is seek but do not find. Seek but do not find. Okay, elaborate on that one, please. So, um, as I understand it, you know, the ego loves nothing more than to examine itself and to analyze itself and to talk about itself. But in terms of truly finding, finding love, finding forgiveness, finding that place of trust and surrender, the ego is not interested in that. It's interested in control and it's fear-based. It's steeped in fear. So it doesn't, it doesn't want to give itself over. The last thing the ego wants to do is relinquish control. I think that's true across the board for all of us. But if we stop and consider just how much is out of our control, we totally come undone. We completely freak out. Mm -hmm. That in there is a high degree, you know, that's where trust and surrender are really of, of paramount importance is recognizing how much is really out of our control. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's also, I see where allyship is so important, you know, whether that ally be what you call God or uh, yeah. spirit guides or men. I mean, I think we have multiple guides available to us. Yeah. I like that ally, allies. Yes. And yeah. um, everybody has a different listening. Like if, if I say God to certain people, they can't, they won't hear another word I say. Right. No. Um, spirit guides, ah, that's blasphemy. Maybe allies might work better across the board, but you know, who knows what people's listening is. I try to use all the words. Yeah. But allies is a really good one for the support that we have in the unseen realms. Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw on your site, was it your site? One of the things I was reading, you referred to God as grace. Do I have that right? Yes. Which I love because I work with that also. I, I, I call that in every mushroom journey in grace. So please, would you speak to that? That's beautiful. This notion of preparing a place for grace that I don't even fully understand mm -hmm. grace is. It's, mm -hmm. it's so generous. It's so charitable. It's so loving. It's so, it's inconceivable, but I can prepare a place for grace. So at my fire, I prepare a place for grace when I, when I create the altar and I kneel before that altar. And sometimes I'll kneel to the side of that altar mm. and open to, to grace. However, it may shower itself into my mind, you know, shower its blessings into my mind and prepare the way it, to prepare the ground for miracles, for something that's nonlinear and out of time sequence. And that's, unexpected you know we in common language we call that a breakthrough you know or or an epiphany or a sudden revelation but or a healing but that's miraculous activity in our in our lives yes i agree i see that as a grace when that comes grace yes yeah and it's not forced and yeah. no in fact the phrase, I don't know where this comes from, but I think it just at the fire, without strain, mm. without strain, 
Mm. And when I notice, you know, I'm, I'm, this is not uncommon when my shoulders are hunched and there's tension in my body, especially when I'm at the fire, I'm like, oh, I, I, I drop my shoulders and drop my head and let my body go into a, uh, a very relaxed posture without strain. And that helps my mind to open, you know, like those blooming onions to open my mind mm. to be receptive without resistance, not resisting. And resistance is, for most people, it's unconscious. It's just there. I can't let go. Oh, no, if I let go, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket, like right now. If I let go of my control, how, how will the world go on without me? How will my family survive? How will my community function? You know, I hear this over and over again. Mm-hmm. So to, to let down to prepare a place for grace, to trust and surrender, to open my mind in, in a relaxed way and to let there be space for something to show up that's miraculous, you know? Yeah, and and that is a practice. And, yeah. and, and then to be able to bring that out into the greater world. That's the it's, other side of mm-hmm. all what we're talking about. That's the other side of it. I could have all these wonderful journeys in the in the woods forever, but my ability to carry that wisdom and that knowledge back into my life and express it there, that's the real challenge. I think of it as going to the well, filling my hands with water and holding them together as tightly as I can. But by the time I get back down the mountain, my hands are just wet. Mm. I do the best I can with that. And then I go back to the back to the mountain, back to the well. Very good. Very good. Well, we are at the end of the first half, Tom, and and we have Mm. a lot more to continue with this this conversation. You are sharing so much. So I will invite the listeners to come over to themushroomsapprentice.com and subscribe there. It's a very reasonable monthly subscription and avail yourself of this very wise man's wisdom. So hope Mm -hmm. to see you there.